I, I love Jesus, but not the church. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't need to love the church or to be a part of the church to do that or to follow him. And I can't stand being around church people. These are all statements that I have made at one time in my life. Maybe you've made those. Maybe you've heard those statements made by someone. A lot of that has to do and is rooted in uh, what was at one time a, a wrong definition of what the church is. The church as a building, the church as an institution, as an organization. And so some of those, if that was my view of church, maybe some of those statements would uh, be correct or something that uh, we would say. But as I've, I've grown and uh, developed my understanding of what the church is, and we're going to look this morning in the Word of God to see for Jesus, a disciple of Jesus Christ, who understands really what the church is, those statements can't be true and they cannot be made. And so we've been looking, we've been in a series, if you've been here, of, of what is a disciple. What is a disciple of Christ? And we've been picking out really some of the passages where, where Jesus has really challenged the people that have been following after him. And so the first week we look at, at, at a disciple and that he, he abides in Christ. So a disciple of mine abides in Christ. It means we believe in Jesus and he's our source. We not just believe that he existed, but we believe in who he says that he was. He says that he was God. He says that he's our Savior, our Lord. He came to die and sacrifice himself for our sins. And he, he proved that he was who he says he was by uh, raising from the dead and, and appearing to many people. And so believing in that and following after that, submitting to his lordship in our life and being united to him in mission is what he meant when he says, you abide in me and then you will produce fruit. You'll prove to be my disciple. So that's a passage where he says, this is how you will prove to be my disciple. If you abide in me, if you believe in who I am, and if you, if you stay centered and grounded in what we call the gospel, that's what we call the gospel message. And the gospel is Jesus. And he's the center of it and what he has done. So if you, if you abide in him, you believe in the gospel, you continue in the gospel, then, then God will work in your heart and you will bear fruit. And you'll prove to be his disciple. Then last week we looked at a very challenging passage that Chad walked us through. And, and seeing that a disciple loves the person of Jesus above everything else. And he said, if you, if you do not do that, if you do not put, he, he uses words to describe family and, and, and mother and father would look like hate in comparison to the way that you love me. If you can't do that, if that's not the love that you have for me, you can't be my disciple. So proving discipleships, and then he said, you can't be my disciple if you don't love me with a great love above all else. And this week, we're going to look in John chapter 13. If you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to spend some time in John 13. We're going to start in verse 34, John 13. And this is what Jesus is saying. A little bit of context here. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's just washed their feet. This is kind of Jesus' life and ministry is coming to an end. So John is recording uh, the beginning of, of Jesus and his uh, commissioning, really, and of the disciples, knowing that he's about to leave them. So he's washed their feet. 
and says that the way I've served you, you should serve other people. And then he, he announces to him that one of these that have been following me, the 12 closest disciples, is going to betray me. And so Judas goes and he says, go do your business. Judas is going to betray and do business with the people he's got to do business with. It'll hand Jesus over. And then Jesus is telling him, look, I'm about to leave you. I'm about to leave you. So that's the context that we're in. We're starting in, in verse 34 of chapter 13. And this is what Jesus says. He says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to put this in context of what it meant then, what it means now. Jesus I said this, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the 12 exclusively here. Okay, this is what this is Jesus is talking to. They're gathered up around him and he's giving, him, giving them this is a kind of an intimate moment with them because Jesus knows he's about to leave. And so he's giving it to disciples, people who have abided in Christ. They don't fully understand yet because the gospel hasn't been, it's, it's not completed. Jesus hasn't died, but they, they're abiding in him. They've given up everything to follow him. A sacrificial, their love for him has grown. And so they're abiding in him and they've, they've given up things to, to follow him. And Jesus now knows that he's telling this to the people who will accept his gospel and will spread his gospel to the world and to other people. And so what, who he's talking to here is disciples of Christ and it's the church. And so next week we're actually going to look, and it's a little bit backwards, but next week we're going to look fully at what is the church. But for our context, I want you to know when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about followers of Jesus who've accepted the gospel and who Jesus is. They've been adopted as his children. They're submitting to his lordship and they're united by his mission. The church is the people. If we look around in this room, for those of us who, who meet that, say we're following after Jesus, we've been, we understand his salvation, his gospel message, we, we know we're adopted, that's our identity now as the children of God. We're submitting to his lordship daily in our lives and we're being united by his mission. That's what we're here, that's what we're living for is his mission. We are the church people. And so that's who Jesus is talking to. It's his disciples who, who believe that and who are coming fully to believe in that and to believe in him. And so he's telling them. Now what, what is he saying? A new commandment that I give to you. It says there a new commandment, okay? And I, I just picture in this setting, he's saying, okay, a new commandment I give you, love each other. I, I remember when I first came across this verse, I was like, a new commandment? I don't get that it's a new, because like if I look in the Old Testament, I see just this message of love coming all throughout the Bible. And so I, I just feel like the disciples were like, kind of, you know, at first, like a new commandment. What do you mean? Like we know, love each other. You've given us the great commandment. Love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, body, strength. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, we've heard you say, do unto others as I have done unto you. Okay, treat people like you would want to be treated. Serve people like you would want to be served. Love people like you would want to be loved. So new commandment. What is he, what is he saying? And the, the, the thing that we've got to see in this passage, that it is very much a new commandment, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. But he doesn't stop there. It's not that you would just love one another or love your neighbor as yourself or do unto others that you would have them do unto you. Those are all things that Jesus spoke and that Jesus commandment that we, we should follow, but they fall completely under this, that 
he says now, just as I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples, speaking to the church. He says, just as I have loved you, the love that I have shown you here, and that you will fully come to understand after my death and after my resurrection, this is the love that you should have for each other. This is the love that us as, as members of the body of Christ, the church, should have for each other. Anytime we see Jesus talking about love in Scripture, we need to understand that Jesus, man, he's upping like the ante. He's, he's deepening the love situation. So it's key for us to understand that we love, so you, as, as he has loved us, so we must love each other. Just let that sink in, okay, a little bit. Just think about it. As he has loved us, we're to love each other. That's huge. When Jesus talks about love, and you can go through and you can search when Jesus is talking about love, man, he, it's, it's the same Jesus that said, not just love people like that are good to you, love your enemies. Love people that are trying to kill you, love people that are persecuting you, love people that, you, that, are, that hate you. Love your enemies. And Jesus, when he calls us to love, love is a way of life that will be hard and it'll mean sacrifice. And it'll mean a, a complete change in our attitude in the way we do life to love people like he has shown us to love. So how can we do this love? Is this possible? I mean, I know that's what, I mean, that's where my thoughts went to. And I know many people's thoughts, if you can read over a passage like this where Jesus says something that's very demanding. Does, does Jesus really mean this? Is this possible to love people the way he's loved us? But Jesus, this is a command that Jesus has given us that we can't ignore. This is a command he's given us to love. And the only way that we'll do that, and I, I mean, we sing about the love of God and the love of Jesus. And so it's, we're, it's very appropriate as we're talking about being disciples of Christ. All of this is rooted. And we've been trying to, to, to make this understand. All of this that happens, because this isn't do this, don't do this. This is all rooted in the gospel. And so who do we look to as followers of Christ to be able to love in this way? And we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to the way he loved us. We have to look to his example. And we have to look to understand in the way that he's done that for us. And so how does Jesus love us? Well, I want you to know, man, Jesus came as a servant, serving. He came as a servant, serving. He said that I came not to be served, but to serve. I want to give my life as a ransom for many people. If you look, okay, we want to look earlier in the chapter, in chapter 13. This is a moving passage for me, and one that I think manifests and shows the love of Jesus and that he had for his disciples and his servant attitude more than anything else, more than any other passage. I just want us to look at it. I'm going to read starting in verse 1, 13. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, and he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered to him, what I am doing you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He does this act for them, which we've talked about in here in our gathering before that would have been a nasty job. All right? Would, I mean, would we have done this? Would you have done this? They, they wore sandals then. They walked everywhere. The dust, the, the grimes would be something that a, a servant would have done, a lowly servant in their society would have washed feet. And Jesus does this for his disciples. He says, you do this to other people. I think as I was, I was studying this and looking at this passage, I was reminded of, from some, I went to my grandmother and the way she took care of her and then her, her, her mom and then the way people take care of other people and who are, who are you know, completely handicapped, completely can't help themselves and their caregivers, either a, a loved one, you know, a daughter or, or a mother or a father looking after their child or a husband or wife looking after each other. Someone that's, that's completely helpless and they can't, can't take care of themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't wash can't go to the bathroom on their own. And the way that I've seen through my family, you've probably seen, maybe have, have a close experience with that of seeing somebody. I immediately went to that in the way that, that they care for them. And I've just never heard a caregiver say, man, I'm too good for this. Or this isn't my problem. It's, no, that's, I've never heard that. The love motivates and it moves them into humble and loving service for their loved one. And they're willing to do that job and they're willing to serve in that way. And we have the creator of the universe who knows exactly who he is and where he's going. I think John in verse 3, if you look there, he puts that in on purpose. He said I, that he knew exactly that he had been sent by the Father and who he was and his place at the right side of the Father in heaven. He knew his power and he goes and he does this job and he shows us what it means to love through extraordinarily humble service towards each other. And it begs us to ask the question, are we, are we too proud to serve in love? Are we too selfish? And it doesn't have to just necessarily be in taking care of people. It's usually just an attitude of our heart and it usually manifests itself in the things that we say. We say things like this, that's, that's not really my problem. Or he dug his own grave to get there. And as I'm reading this, as we're looking at this church, this should never be our attitude with each other. Thank God that Jesus did not say this about us that they dug their own grave and that's their problem because we absolutely made our own mess in this life. And he has saved us in spite of ourselves. And he has served us in spite of ourselves. This, this statement is humbling to me. And I want you to think on it. Jesus served you. 
Jesus served us. If that doesn't humble you, then you don't understand either the power and the eternal majesty and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Or maybe that you have a really hard time accepting that he really has served you and loved you the way that he has. So looking at Jesus, we see, man, he gives us the perfect example. And it's the Sunday school answer, but it is the right answer. And following after Jesus and, and wanting to love the church and love each other, love other disciples the way he's commanded us, we look to him and he's shown us the kind of sacrifice and the service that we should be about with each other and about showing each other. And then Jesus, we learn from him that he loved us to death. Literally. He loved us to death. The lesson we learn from Jesus in this is his, about sacrificial love. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the feelings and the emotions, but the sacrificial committed love. Are we, are we really supposed to be willing to die for each other? And I wish as I look at this, maybe I could, I could, I could say that, you know, deeper studies, that this is figurative and he, he didn't really mean that or that, that we would love the way he loved and how he's loved us all the way to death. But one of the most challenging verses for me in the Bible is in verse, 1 John 3. It starts in 16. It says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Speaking about the church here again, our brothers in the faith. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then he gets real practical that it's understanding this about sacrificial love and being able to sacrifice all the way to that point. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Man, I love that. For people that are very practical, like me, I, man, he's saying it. Don't just say that we love each other. Love in deed and truthfully from your heart. Sacrificially. What's that thing that you would never give up to someone? Just think about it. Probably won't take us long. What's that, what's that one thing you would never give up to someone? Maybe your stuff, maybe your money, maybe it's your trust in people, or maybe it's your time. I think for a lot of us, it's our time. We, we treat our time as if we own our time and as if we created our time. When we, we've not created a, a single second, millisecond of our time. And I believe in the importance of getting away. I mean, we need personal time sometimes, but our personal time really exists so we can be re-energized, reconnected, poured back into from the love of the Father so that we can go out and better love and serve and sacrifice for other people. That's what personal time is. As Christians, we are about each other. We are about the God of the universe, loving him with everything and about each other. Being willing to serve each other humbly and sacrificially. So do you need to, to maybe give somebody your, more of your time here in this, in this body, in this community? A listening ear, maybe it's an encouraging word. Or just to be a friend to somebody who, so they don't feel so lonely here in this place. There are needs here in our community. And God is saying that it is our job and it is our command and it should be our joy to meet those needs. 
whether it's giving of our time or money or whatever it may be. Anything is up for grabs. The, the early church, man, we see this in the New Testament and Paul's writing, they knew that this was the love that was carried down from the gospel and understanding this was Jesus' commandments and they looked after each other, they took care of one another, one another but they struggled with it, okay, just like we struggle. So I don't want to think that it was an ideal, perfect time there in the New Testament. They struggled with this just like we struggle with loving each other. And so Paul is writing to them. He's constantly encouraging them, exhorting them to continue in this, continue in one another. And there's several one another passages in the New Testament that, that are examples of this. I want to read some of them. I want to read several of them, okay? You don't have to flip there, but I want to read them because I want you to, to get a grasp. And there's many more than this of how many times that the New Testament, when, when Paul is writing a letter to a community of believers just like this that are united in faith and united in mission, he's telling them, do this for one another, do this for one another, do this for one another. He says, love one another with brotherly affection in Romans 12, 10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Serve one another, Galatians 5, 13. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Always seek to do good to one another. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like how he adds that on. Show hospitality, not because you feel like you have to. Don't grumble about the hospitality. Just show it from a true heart. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And to love this way is to love the way that Jesus has loved us. But make no, make no mistake, and it is easy to get up here and, and to preach about this and to know that this is the ideal, but it is hard and it is a way of life. And it's not easy for us. And if you look at our churches and our communities, you'll know that it's not easy for us. So we don't do it very often. And if we're not constantly humbling ourselves before Jesus and understanding the love that, that he has poured into us the way that he has served us the way that he has sacrificed for us man we will run dry we will not understand we will not live in this way that Jesus has commanded us so we won't feel replenished we won't understand how much he's given and done for us so we should joyfully do that for each other and love will become a source of frustration and pride when we're just trying to do it. But it's not from a true heart and true motivation. If we look to Jesus to see how to love one another, love the church. And I think Jesus too, if you look back in John 13 and 35, Jesus wants his disciples, he wants us as his church, as the body of Christ, not only to look to him as an example of how to love one another, but also to know the purpose of our love for one another. It says, by this, by doing this, by loving each other the way that I've loved you, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this is how people will know that you're my disciples. 
We've been looking at these passages, man. If you, Jesus said, if you want to prove to be my disciple, you're going to abide in me. And there's going to be fruit in your life. If you don't love me above all else, you can't be my disciple. And he says, now, do those things. If you love each other like I've loved you, that's how people are going to know. He focuses on the external now. That's how people are going to know that you're really my disciple. What are you known for? If somebody was to, if I was to ask somebody, if you were to ask somebody about me, what are we known for? What would be the answer? And it might would be that they're religious and that they're Christian and that they read their Bible a lot and it could be some good things, but Jesus says they're going to know you. They should know you by the love that you have for your brothers in Christ. What are we here at Venue known for? What is the church at large in America known for? I'm afraid that it's not love. It's not love for each other. I think sometimes we miss what Jesus is saying here because we have very good intentions to be loving to people. And all throughout Scripture, okay, and I'm focusing on love for the church and love for the body of Christ and one another. But I don't want you to hear me saying that means we don't love all people, okay? There's the, the, the Bible is filled with Scriptures and passages through and through that we love everyone. We love the poor, we love the powerless especially as it has a special place in God's heart. But sometimes we miss that Jesus is saying that this is the way that people will know my love. It's through each other. It's through you, my body, the body of Christ, the way that you exhibit love for one another. Sometimes we go out so much on our own and individually loving people and think as an individual I'm going to go and, and love and love and and those things are good because as individuals, we need to love and we need to care for people. We need to meet people's needs. But if we're all just trying to do that separately, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you guys should be loving each other. You should be rubbing up against each other, serving together, living life together, and letting people see how you work out your conflicts, letting people see that you forgive each other, that you care for each other, that you bear one another's burdens. This is how they'll know of my love that you're representing as the body of Christ, that's how they'll know. It's in community and life together. Because we are representing a God of love, are we not? The Bible is filled with passages about the love of God in the Old Testament and New Testament. But if you want to turn to Lamentations, turn to Lamentations chapter 3 if you would real quick. There's no other place in all of Scripture that is more humbling to me and says more about the love of God than the book of Lamentations. And so in Lamentations chapter 3, and if you go down to verse 22, that's where we're going to be, but I want to set the context for Lamentations, okay? Jerusalem has been destroyed. The people of God have been wiped out because of their sin and their rebellion and turning against God and worshiping idols. Men, women, children, they've all been slaughtered. And the sight of what Jeremiah has wrote this book, he's a prophet of God, he's wrote this book and he sees these things and he's going throughout the streets and he's seeing the dead bodies and what he sees literally makes him vomit in the streets. And he says in the following verses that 
that his endurance is beginning to fade. His hope is wearing out and diminishing. But then all of a sudden, he remembers this about God. And I want you to think about the horrible things that he's seen in his life and that's just happened. And he's losing it, man. He's losing his endurance. He's, God has spoken through him. He's had an experience with God in a re- very real and personal way. But he's beginning to lose his endurance and beginning to lose his hope. But he recalls this to be true. In verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are great and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. And therefore I'll put my hope in him. Man, that is, that is convicting. Do I believe in God's love that much? Do you believe in God's love that much? These are the people that Jeremiah was speaking to. God was using him to speak to these people and they're wiped out dead. They're starving to death. Women are, are eating their children, their dead children to stay alive. It's a horrible scene. If you want to read through Lamentations. If you've got a weak stomach, you might not want to. And this is what Jeremiah says. He remembers this because he's had an experience to know the love of God. He knows that even in the midst of all of this, it doesn't change who God is. That he's a God of steadfast love, of mercy, love that never ends, great faithfulness to us and to his people. To be honest, I've never been in that kind of situation. I hope that I've had enough experience with God to know I believe in God's love that much. And that's the love that we represent as the body of Christ to people. We're to be that now, not Jeremiah. Jeremiah is now being the voice for God about his love. Now the body of Christ is the voice of love for God. So I want you to relate it to our times. If, if complete devastation, we've had some catastrophic events in our country, in our world. And I believe they'll probably get worse. Even in the midst of all this pain and this suffering and this loss and this hurt and this hate, and if the economy keeps going worse and everybody's broke and nobody has a job and it's just horrible. We're the agent of God's love. People are supposed to look at us in the midst of all of that that is going on and be able to say, God is love. Look at the way they treat each other. Look at the way that even in the midst of this suffering and this loss and this pain that they behave and take care of each other. Man, God's love is real. It's got to be. His faithfulness is great to us. Make no mistake about it that in our country, specifically, God hasn't done anything to ruin his reputation of love. He hasn't done anything to ruin it. The people who gather together under the name of the church have. And I believe it's insulting to God and his character. I love this quote by Tertullian. He was an early Christian writer, and he was writing this about what 
the Gentiles, people outside of the Christian community, were saying about the Christians. He said, see, said they, all, all, this, all this horrible things and persecution going on in their time and in their world. This is a very early church. This is what he wrote about what outsiders were saying who hated Christians. These people hated Christians. They don't want to be Christians. He said, see, said they, how they care for one another and are ready to lay down their lives for each other. They couldn't deny it. They could hate Christians all they want, but they couldn't deny the love that they had for each other. Willing to lay down their lives for each other and for the sake of the gospel. And caring for each other. And Jesus is telling his disciples who will go on and they'll remember this and they'll write these words down. That this is the way. Remember how Jesus said we're supposed to love each other the way he loved us. He wants us to know the purpose the purpose is so that people will know and see the love of God and the purpose ultimately also in everything that Jesus did and everything that we should be about is the glory of God. Not just love for love's sake that love becomes an idol but love for the glory of God and making much of him and his greatness and his faithfulness. Jesus loves the church as the people, as the body of Christ, those who are his who have been adopted by him. And he says we are to love each other in this way. One, because he's done that for us. Two, because it's his command and it's for his glory to be known in this world. Ephesians 5, 29 is talking about husbands and wives, but Paul is saying that he's not just, your marriage is not just about your marriage your marriage is about showing the gospel. So for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's from Genesis, he's quoting from. But listen to what he says. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We can't love Jesus and hate the church. We can't not love church people in the context of knowing that the church are the sons and the daughters of God. And look, I want you to know, man, we are messed up. You're messed up with sin. I'm messed up with sin. You can get into anything you can have the best church that you can think of, of people, and there's going to be sin, and there's going to be messiness, and there's going to be sloppiness, and people are going to let you down, and people are going to hurt you, and they're going to say that they're going to meet you at this time, and they're not going to meet you. They're going to say that they're going to walk with you, and love you, and help you, and disciple you, and help you through this hard time in marriage, and they may let you down. We're people. But Jesus is saying, if we want to love as he's loved us, we love in spite of all of that. How many times do you, will you be hurt by the church, the people, before you'll leave and never come back? If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus is telling you it's not about that. You're, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. If you're a follower of Christ truly though, seeking to love 
and serve like Jesus? You're asking the wrong question about what is this church doing for me? If you're a follower of Christ, you should be saying, what am I doing for the church? How am I serving in love? How am I forgiving the people that have hurt me to show that I love them and to show for the glory of God, of who he is, his character? So we're going to close. The band's going to come back up. And as we respond to God's word and, and who he is, I want to give you the freedom to respond how you want. But I also want to give you the freedom to get with people in this room who maybe have hurt you in some way, have offended you, and you want to get with them, and you want to pray with them, and you want to say, man, I'm not going to diminish the hurt that was caused, but I know that as a follower of Christ, he's called me to love you and to forgive you in spite of all of it. And I want to serve you in that way. I want to give you the freedom to do that, whatever that looks like in this place. Grouping with people. Whatever it may be. Let's pray. God, I I can't stop thinking about the love that you have for us that is deep that is wide that we can't do anything that will separate us from it Jesus thank you thank you for loving us in spite of our faults thank you for dying for the church and God and I pray that we would be the body that you want us to be and that you've called us to be in your word and scripture how you've commanded us to love each other and to serve each other and to care for one another. God, I know that happens through the power of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and in our lives. And I pray that your Spirit would move now, God, and you would start something where we continue throughout the weeks to come to better love and serve each other in this body, in this faith community. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.